looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This week's guest is Scott Carson, and Scott's going to be talking about note investing, being the bank when it comes to real estate. So this is a a newer form of real estate investing that we're not really used to having on the show here. So I thought it'd be a great idea to bring Scott in, talk about his team and what they're doing with note investing. And, you know, he is filled with energy. He really is. I mean, he does, he has his own podcast. He's been on over 300 other podcasts. So he really knows what he's doing. Really enjoy having Scott on the show. With that, let's welcome Scott into the episode. All right, Scott, welcome to the show. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, man. It is a beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. It's actually not going to be like the depths of hell uh, in heat-wise. We'll be lucky to hit 90 degrees a day. So it's, it's been a beautiful day. Got coffee, walking outside, getting some work done. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, gentlemen. Awesome. I love the energy. Appreciate you having, uh, having me on the show here. So, Scott, if you don't mind just taking a quick minute, introducing yourself to our audience. Tell us about uh, yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm known kind of across the country as the note guy for the last 14 plus years since 2008. I've uh, really focused on buying mortgages and buying notes. And I'm even more nichier than just being a note investor. I focus on buying primarily non-performing notes direct from banks and real estate trusts and other institutional debt. So we buy first liens. We're usually where the borrower hasn't paid in six, at least six months or sometimes up to six years. And our biggest goal is to buy that debt, try to work it back out with the borrower, get it reperforming, and keep them in the property um, while we get cash flow. And then after a period of time, sell that note off. If they won't play ball with us, then we always go the legal route and foreclose or offer cash or keys and stuff like that. But over the last, so like I said, since 2007, 2008, bought over a billion dollars in distressed debt. And uh, yeah, I call Austin, Texas home. And I love working to create win-win-win scenarios, win for us, win for the banks, and win for the borrowers as well. So it's a little bit in the nutshell about what awesome. I do. No, I like that. So you said you've been doing this since about 2007, 2008. Is that correct? That's correct. And the ex-mortgage broker in me stopped originating when the uh, the music stopped back in the Great Recession. And I just jumped on the opposite side. So the origination, I just started dialing for dollars to call the banks and say, hey, I know you got some bad debt. What do you want to get off your books? Let me, let's make some, let's make some lemonade out of lemons. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question is, Really, and I think you can answer that, how you got in, what you were doing before, and how you got into uh, buying non-performing notes. Why don't you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, I started, graduated college with a business and marketing degree in 2001 and, and did some things, but basically got into the finance industry. I was actually a banker for JP, Bank One, and then JP Morgan Chase, and uh, a mortgage banker, and then, you know, a traditional banker here in Austin, Texas, opened up about 14 different locations for Chase, and then a buddy of mine came to me in 2004, was starting a mortgage company. And, you know, I'm like many people, we were loving those fictional TV shows, you know, flip this house, you know, the HGTV stuff that doesn't make sense. And when you're a real investor, you see that's not how it happens. You know what I mean? I see, see DJ down there smiling. So he's like, yeah, exactly. And uh, I actually, you know, bought a couple of houses, but fell flat in my face. We overpaid. 
uh, I got laid off. My tenants got laid off. So I, I joked that I was a deadbeat bar all the way back in like 2002, 2003. Luckily, we got our assets out of a sling and was licking my wounds, you know, back in the finance stream, making good money doing that. But then when my buddy approached me, they were starting this mortgage company with a couple of investors that were traveling the country and all these big real estate expos and circuits teaching creative financing, owner financing, subject to deals, fix and flipping and stuff like that. It's like, this is really what I want to do. So for four years from 2004 to 2008, co-owned the mortgage company, we're just killing it. You know, getting 30 to 60 mortgage applications approved in basically every other weekend, but also had the chance to sit in the back of the room and hear some of the best minds in, in real estate and learn how to do real estate the right way, not the wrong way. And, you know, started dabbling into some subject to deals, started buying some onesie, twosie notes, doing some owner financing. Um, and then when everything happened in 2008 with the Great Recession, you know, the big short kind of kicked in. And then I said, OK, here's the opportunity. Um, what I've learned and then I also had some of my mentors that I learned along the way who had made a, a killing back during the savings and loan crisis, the, Ar the Resolution Trust Corporation days. They're like this is an opportunity to buy a lot of stuff at a big at cheap price. You're never going to see it like this. So that's what I did. I just sold my half of the mortgage company for a buck because that's about all it was worth at that point. And then just started making dollar for dollars, making 50 to 100 phone calls a, a day to, to track down these notes, these non-performing notes at banks. And uh, kind of the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, I, I love the term. You had your ass that's in a sling. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was partly chuckling at that, too. So I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. But, <laughs> you know, I think I think every investor, I think every investor at some point ends up that way. You know yeah. what I mean? We go through ups and downs and there's. You know, every, I wish every deal wasn't a hit it out of the ballpark grand slam, but we all know that, hey, it's real estate. Things change. Not every deal is as smooth as we wish it would be. Yeah. And we, we've actually in several discussions, podcasts, meetup, have had a lot of discussion around the fact that real estate's not simple. Uh, taking on a partner uh, like I've done with Dante uh, certainly uh, has helped me uh, in my momentum uh, in terms of our business plan. But it's a tough business to do by yourself. And I do think it takes years. Uh, I do think having a formal education, so I'll make a tie-in, flip this house. If I remember correctly, I think that was Stan Merrill and his guys at CT Homes that did that program there. And they're all tied into Fortune Builders now. That company's still going. They're out in California. Um, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. So they've really leveraged their business and their yeah. students in some creative ways, but I don't want to stay focused on that. I want to focus on you. One of the best ways I learn how to do things is like a lot of people uh, through numbers. So it, take us through a, a, a deal like investing in a note. It's really interesting. I've done some passive lending. You know, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I end up in a first lien position, promissory note, that type of thing. But this note investing is really interesting to me. I haven't done it before. So take me through an example, if you would. Well, DJ and Dante, everybody's in the note business, just that most people are on the wrong side of the payment stream. That's you right. I mean? <laughs> you're, paying, you're paying out the mortgage, the car loan, the student loan debt, the credit card, the IOU to Bubba down the road. Uh, that's We're all in the note business, ladies and gentlemen out there. So what you want to do is be on the payment stream. So I'll give you a great example, uh, simple numbers. Um, I actually got a deal right now that we're working on right now. The borrower owes about 125 on a property that's worth about 100. They haven't paid in a year. Um Bank is motivated to sell the note. Um, we're going to pick up the note for roughly 50000 $50, bucks. Now, the borrower still owes one twenty-five. The house is still worth 100 I don't own the house. I own the note. So by buying that 
mortgage, a first lien, that's all I buy, I'm now becoming the bank. And I have the same rights as the bank to work with the borrower to try to get them back on track. So the interest rate on the mortgage is 6%. They don't have the greatest FICO, don't have the greatest credit, but that's okay. They do want to stay. And one of the things that we do as a note investor is we're not just evaluating the property uh, for value. We're looking at the collateral file and we're also looking at the borrower. And one of the great things that we are able to do is we kind of see underneath the kimono. You know, we can see the servicing notes, what the borrowers called into the, the mortgage company and have they been responsive in a good way? Have they been negative? You know, that gives us a lot of information if the borrower is something to work with. And so we, we, based on what we've seen in the documents, the borrower wants to stay in the house. The bank is just wanting to move this off their books. So in at 50, um, the borrower interest rate is 6% of the mortgage. I believe we'll be able to get the borrower back on track with a loan mod. It's that reinstatement first. We always do a trial payment plan first before we modify. So if we can get them to start making their existing payment again, get them back on track, that's a 12% cash and cash return to us because at the 6%, we're buying at 50. Now, our goal is always to have the bar bring a little bit of money to the table. If you're not even paid in a year, most people are saving money or they've got you know, roughly you know, two to three to four months of payments socked away somewhere or they can borrow. We want them to bring some investment to the table, skin the game. If you don't get any skin in the game, it's very likely they're going to default again. So we're going to ask the bar to bring five grand to the table and either a lump sum payment or half down and then the, another, the other half over... 12 months, like 200 bucks extra on top of their payment per month. So let's run some numbers here. We're in at 50. Their mortgage rate is 6%. Right at six grand, six grand on 50 is a pretty good return on investment, about 12% return in, in initially. Well, if we're going to bring another five grand to the table in the first 12 months, that's 11 grand on a $50,000 investment. That's over a 20% cash and cash return to us. Now, our goal at the end of that 12 month period is we'll then modify the loan. We'll reevaluate the property for what it's worth and then either forgive um, some of the, the mortgage balance. You know, we, it's kind of that dangling that carrot in front of the borrower to get them to move. Um, if we do that, great. But we now that we've got the borrower paying on time for 12 months, hopefully, we can now sell that note back to the secondary market, back to Wall Street, back to IRA investors at 85, 90 cents on the dollar which would be about a six and a half to 7% return based on the underlying rate. So if we bought it at 50, we got 11 grand in cash along the way. And let's just say we sell it at 85, that's another $35,000 in profit on the note. Uh, and that's what we get. So basically 35 plus 11, $46,000 profit on a $50,000 investment is pretty freaking good. Now, let's say the bar falls off and doesn't pay. Then we foreclose. You know, It'll cost us somewhere between three and five grand to foreclose on this asset. So we're in at 55. Our goal would be to sell it at the foreclosure auction instead of having to do a lot of work or repairs to it at roughly the same number, 80 to 85% of fair market value, because that's where we're seeing decent properties go. And the property's in good condition based on all our due diligence. So that may take six to 12 months to foreclose. Uh, we'll always approach the borrower and say, listen, hey, if you're not going to pay, you no pay, you no stay. All right. Um, we'll give you. <laughs> You like that, don't you, Dante? Yeah, that's good. Over there. You know, pay, you know, stay. I mean, we want to keep them in the house, but some people, you give them an inch, they try to take a mile. Um, we'll give, we'll offer them. If it takes us three to five grand to foreclose, we'll offer that initially as a cash for keys aspect. So listen, you're not paying in 90 days. Let's give you three grand to walk. Let's help you put down a deposit somewhere. 
versus having a foreclosure affect your credit for seven years, a Dean Lou late mortgage payments will only affect you for 24 months. And so that's the case. Then we would hire a realtor uh, to list the property and sell. If they need a little rehab, great, we'll go in and, and put some lipstick on a pig, you know, paint and carpet cleanup, not a lot of heavy rehabs and go from there. Does that make so sense? It definitely makes sense. And there's a lot there to unpack. So I think we're going to have a few questions, which is good. But my question is, so why doesn't the bank that you purchase the note from, why don't they just do what you're doing or foreclose on the property? Because if they, you know, if it's worth one, if it's worth a hundred, they owe 125 and they sell it for 50, the bank's immediately out, you know, call it 75,000. Why not? Why don't they just foreclose on them and sell it at that 80 or 95 or 90% uh, market value? Great question. Some banks will do that. Not every bank will sell a not. I mean, like Bank of America, Chase, City, Wells Fargo, they're not going to sell a one-off note. We deal with a lot of smaller in regional banks and, and then some big banks too, but uh, they just tired. Banks sometimes get tired of borrowers. Uh, we dealt with a bank. I'll give you an example in San Antonio that had 50 notes we were buying. They were the local bank. They didn't want to be the bad guy. They didn't want to, they knew all these bars. So they sold the notes off to somebody us so that we could bet be the bad guy. It also, you have to look at the velocity of capital and depend on where it's at. So like DJ, I think you're originally, no, you guys, Dante, New York state, DJ up by Syracuse, New York, three years before close. Okay. That's not with the foreclosure moratorium. So the bank, it make, makes more sense for them to sell that note off at 50 cents in the dollar versus going through the two year, three year foreclosure process. They can get that 50 K in now, go out and leverage it out, lend it out 10 times, increase their velocity capital versus having to go back and foreclose. So it, it you know, some states, some banks, they just want to deal with the higher value stuff. The low value stuff doesn't make sense for them a lot of times. We've also dealt with different real estate investment trusts that bought portfolios a note thinking it was going to be easy. And it's not easy. It's not like the, the property management side of things. It's a little bit different. So it was a different mindset for them. They're not set up to service the loans. They're not set up to handle it. So they'd rather sell it off if the bar doesn't reach back out to them and, and get back on a reperforming status. So you know, banks try to do this. Sometimes just having a, a third party come in with a clean slate, you know, they'd rather take a bird in a hand versus two in the bush, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Uh, and the example is phenomenal. That, that really gives a good sense of, you know, kind of this uh, business process uh, flow is, that you have. Yeah, I don't know if you can see this, but this is the actual loan file on that exact deal that oh, we're boy. working on there for you. So that's, you know. Scott, Scott's showing us an inch thick pile of paper, so. Uh, but one of the questions I had is uh, give us a sense of how much moves in what direction. So for example, uh, of all these notes that you're able to buy, what percentage uh, are you able to, I guess, recover, get payments uh, from the homeowner and sell back to that secondary market? That's a great question. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so we focus on occupied assets. We don't like to buy a lot of vacant assets in our due diligence. So when we get a list in from a bank, let's immediately, what we're looking, is it occupied? We're calling the utility departments. And since we're the bank, most of the time, this, the counties and the cities and the utility departments will give us a lot of information. They won't just give anybody else because we have a vested interest in the property. So if it's a vacant property and it's been vacant longer, the power has been turned off for six months or more, we'll usually want to approach it because we know it's probably going to need work. It's been vandalized. You know, the air conditioner has gone on a vacation, a walkabout, the, uh, the copper goblins have showed up. You know, if it's north of the Mason-Dixon line, it may, may very well have an interior water feature right now or an ice sculpture here in a few months when it gets cold. So we like occupied assets because somebody's keeping the heat on at least kind of maintaining the property. Out of that, 
amount. Um, it's probably about 60%, 60 to 70% it'll vary from asset to asset because you know sometimes we, uh, like we bought a portfolio of 70 assets, 70 contract for deeds, first liens, stuff like that, where we were able to get 36 out of the 70 to reinstate in the first two weeks just because the servicing company that was handling the phone calls and the and outreach tried to do everything automatically. You know, they didn't have a person that these borrowers could talk to to set up their ACHs and stuff like that. And we had a, we had our team call out immediately, drop letters, and it was a really great success rate. So we really try to exhaust that, hey, let's get you back on track. What's the situation? What's the country Western song that you've gone through? You know, um, job loss, sick, you know, dog got run over, whatever it might be, spouse left you. I can relate. I'm in the South. My We've family's all- listening to country music now. Yep. <laughs> No We've doubt. all been there, done that. Uh, and, and so, you know, we gave them an opportunity to get back on track. If, if they can't make the payments, then we'll look this up. You know, do you have somebody that wants to take over payments? No. Okay. Can you let's sell the property even on a short sale? Or we, you know, if you got somebody, you know, got somebody in an old 401k or an IRA, we could do a, a settlement and sell you the, the property or just let you walk away in a lot of cases. So um, most investors, on, on they're buying 10 notes. They're probably going to get four to five reinstated. Two to three where the borrowers deed the property back and walk away. And then the other two to three uh, will end up being foreclosures. With this current, with the uh, coronavirus forbearance, uh, moratoriums, you know, all that fun stuff. How has that affected you guys and your business? Great question. Very good question. Um, With with our existing portfolio, we're pretty lucky. About 85% of our existing loans, the borrowers just kept paying. We had a few that reached out for forbearance agreements, 90 to 120 day delays. I was like, that's fine. Uh, we've had a portion that didn't pay, which we couldn't foreclose, which we couldn't evict on. So I'm very excited when the moratorium ended. I was chomping my bit. I'm like, Biden, don't you dare extend it any longer, okay? But that's, you got to think there's a lot of landlords out there that too, that are struggling. They own property. They can't evict the tenants. They're not collecting. So it's led to an opportunity for us to to see those second homes, those investor homes that aren't government um, insured, government backed, that we could pick up and buy um, it's been it's been an interesting time the last year. Um, we see we see more commercial notes that we could pick up at a discount than a lot of the residential notes from some of the regular players because they're holding on to the government backed loans pretty well. But now that we've entered the fourth quarter, we expect the next six months to be just amazing. Um, with and a good sign of this, guys, is when bankers start calling you. You know, when bankers start calling and asking, "Hey, what are you buying?" I know we talked a month ago or two months ago. Do you want to take a look at these three deals or these four deals or these 10 deals? That's always a good sign. Hey, are you still buying? And we've seen an increase in that through LinkedIn and, and email blasts because that's one of the ways that we market to find these deals is, is contacting asset managers on LinkedIn and just a trip marketing campaign once a month going, hey, what do you have on your books that you're looking to get rid of? Yeah, and that was one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, the the marketing or the way you guys uh, develop leads. So you said you're, you're calling your banker relationships people, Right. You also have them calling you. You mentioned some of the marketing that you're doing. I, are those all the the different, uh, how do I say, reaches that you have out there? Or is there other stuff you guys are doing? So this this is what's great about note investing is we do very little direct mail. And nothing wrong with direct mail. been an active investor for years in, prior to this where we send stuff out. But you're just not going to send a postcard to a bank. Hey, you know, you're in trouble, you know. And so we're not dealing with the homeowner on the front hand side. A lot of people are like, oh, can I have my buddy who's six months behind call you? No, it doesn't work that way. So we do a lot of uh, email marketing. Once a month, we send an email blast out to our list of, of contacts. Now, you can go on LinkedIn 
and this is a, a great tool that we use. It's not calling customer service, uh, you know, in a bank or anything like that, or a mortgage company. It's literally a specific names for these departments. One's called the special assets manager, the secondary marketing department, uh, uh, insurance companies that invest in or REITs have whole loan trading desk, or the chief credit risk officer, if it's a smaller local bank in a lot of cases. And there are some great things that we use to kind of see which banks are in default or, you know, what their ratios of default is going on. There's this, uh, you know, every bank files a quarterly report with the FDIC. Well, there's a company called Bauer Financial that evaluates all those quarterly reports and sends us a spreadsheet to show which banks have been increased in debt or increased ratios that have gone to default, how much is over 90 days in default, whether it's residential, commercial, we can look at. And how much is in default 30 to 89 days is moving down that pipeline. So we leverage those things. And then it's LinkedIn connections, you're reaching out, hey, what do you have on your books? We're buying, you know, and just that steady marketing digitally to make things happen. And then we'll get lists in from banks. Some banks I've been getting lists in every quarter for 10 years now that we can cherry pick from. Um, others, it may be once a year that they send stuff out. But that's what it comes down to is one of our, a lead for us isn't just one bar with one property. It's a bank that usually has assets across their books that we can continue, continually cherry pick from and go from there. And then one of the biggest ways we close deals is just like anybody else is if we make an offer and they didn't like it, we'll follow up every 30, 60, 90 days. And they'll often get a lot more motivated as that mortgage is, becomes more in default and we get closer to the end of the fiscal year for them. So I would imagine with all these notes that you guys are purchasing, all these non-performing notes, you guys have a lot of capital tied up at a lot of different times. Are you guys using private money or investors' money with you to do this? Yeah, 90, 95% is OPM, private money, um, marketing, using uh, self-directed IRA funds, you know, some lines of credit, stuff like that. Uh, occasionally, we'll, we'll tap in and we've got a couple of investors or hard money lenders that will do uh, lend us on a collateral assignment where they use the, the actual loan file as the collateral for it and lend the money twist but most of it is with investor money uh i mean i that's one of the funny things when i started buying notes back in 2008 people were like oh that's cool but i don't know how the heck that works so i actually started teaching classes as a way to help educate people on what to do and that's led to people like oh i like that i don't want to do that work can i just write you a check and we'll invest with and go from there exactly you it's know? like the educate and nurture stage where you, exactly. you build that invest relationship what yeah. what is some potential returns look like when you have someone come on you're using other people's money i'm sure it varies but talk to us about it a little bit so it all comes down to what people are looking for. You know, um, we don't usually, if somebody wants on a passive passive investing with us, where they're not doing any of the work or anything like that, the highest we would go is 12%, but it's really rare because we, we are a big opinion that if people aren't going to go out and do the work themselves, they don't get, deserve to get the returns if they're not doing the work. So we do work with a lot of people that have IRAs making nothing or savings accounts or certificates of disappointments, you know what I mean? Or they got a 401k that's now a 101k. And so depending on what they're investing in their history, we may have them in at 4%, 6%, 8%, um, you know, passive with a, maybe a, we've got a fund that we're working on that we'll give them a kicker in the back end. Um, we do with some of our students that we work with, we'll go splitsies, you know, they'll fund the deal and then we'll work out the deal together and it'll just be a 50, 50 split. Smart. So you mentioned long foreclosure times, places like New York state and so on. Are there certain states you're targeting or not targeting? New York, New Jersey, because I don't like the three-year aspect of that. You got to, you know, New York, you got to hire an attorney to talk to an attorney to have an attorney. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, New Jersey is about two years. It's not so bad unless it's a vacant asset. And then they've got the expedited foreclosure process. Um, I am not a fan of Crook County, you know, where Chicago is, Cook. 
that is such a corrupt place to foreclose. Illinois itself is not a bad, you know, about yeah. nine to 12 months, but Chicago itself takes forever to foreclose. And if you're not literally living there, the judges are always going to side with the tenants or the property owners and all. And we've had deals that taken a year because they kept giving 90 day extensions to the borrowers out there. So not a fan of that. Kentucky don't buy a lot of stuff in Kentucky because they've got some uh, uh, bond requirements. They want you to have a million dollar individual bond on it to take deals down the, the value of the assets just aren't really what we want there. So um, those are the states that we don't really do a lot in, um, but we buy just about everywhere else for the most part. Our favorites are like uh, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Chicago. Uh, I love God's waiting room, Florida, as we like to call it there. Uh, a lot of people have not liked Florida over the years because it has, it did have a 12 to 18 month process to foreclose. But the market was hit so bad years ago, we bought a lot of debt and we just rubbed that appreciation way back up and uh, still buying in Florida. I got some great deals down there right now. Um, I don't see people ask me all the time, hey, what about California? You know, oh, do you see anything in California? Yes, we'll see stuff in California, but it's the land of fruit and nuts. I mean, it's just still overpriced. I saw a portfolio of non-performing apartments go for 98 cents on the dollar, uh, which I'm like, how can you make any money unless you've got like negative you know, 1% or you want to make a 3% cap rate on that. So we don't buy a lot in the West Coast just because it's overpriced. And for a million bucks in San Diego, I could buy almost a block in Kansas City, if that makes sense. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Talk to us a little about your team. What does your team look like that you work with? And what are, their, what are they doing? What does your day-to-day kind of look like? Great question. The, the beauty thing about being a note investor is I'm more like a, I'm like a general manager of a football team. Okay. I'm putting people in place. I'm not going out and knocking on doors. Uh, we have a servicing company, Madison Management, and a few others that we use. They're out of uh, Reno, Nevada. They're handling the day-in, day-out phone calls to the borrowers if they're not paying. Okay. Now, I do have an assistant that works out of New Jersey. She actually, uh, initially, when we buy a portfolio notes, she does the initial borrower outreach in the first seven days, getting see what's going on. It's a, it's a fresh, you know, fresh voice, kind of a fresh start for the borrowers, you know. And so she's really good at ne- negotiating. She used to work for a servicing company for years, and so. She handles the day-in, day-out negotiations. She keeps track of what taxes are owed. Uh, if a bar suddenly falls off and stops paying, she works with the servicing company to tell them exactly what we want to do. Um, if a bar calls in and tries to negotiate, she's the one that says, okay, we'll go, you know, we'll go A, B, C, or D, one of these different ways. That's kind of the, the day-in, day-out operations. When we take a property back, or if a bar doesn't, then we kick it to our, our real estate attorney network across the country. And then we're communicating with those attorneys once every two to three weeks, or at least once a month, depending on what state it is, and when an update comes in. I mean, if you're going to foreclose, it's a lot of hurry up and wait on the court system here to make things happen. And then once we foreclose, then we work with our, our realtor network uh, to, to liquidate the property. If we don't sell at the auction, if we take the property back, then we, we find somebody locally to list the property and get it sold. Like I'm working on a property right now in Francis, uh, Francis Oklahoma with a realtor out there to get it sold. And we, we it was... The, you know, the beautiful thing is if it's in a rural area, a lot of times we don't pay much for it. And so we're able to move it because it's like, eh, there's not that many people there. We try to stay in cities of 50,000 or greater for the most part, but occasionally when you're buying a portfolio, you'll, get, you'll end up with anything. So that's the case. But literally my day-to-day, usually half of it is, you know, just touching base. Hey, where are we on these assets? Like I've got uh, on the sixth of the month, mortgage was due on the fifth. So we get a report sent to us today, like, hey, who's, who's defaulted? Who hasn't paid? And then we kind of start that proceedings. Okay, so let's make sure they're calling. Do we need to proceed with foreclosure? And, and then go from there. 
And then, oh, and then as we have, and then usually when, um, Wednesdays also is the day that we usually get our updates from our lenders um, who have deals. You know, we send it out email on Tuesday. Wednesday starts feeding in uh, results of, hey, yeah, we've got something or we don't have anything this month. Um, and then we're evaluating those portfolios and going from there. So it really sounds like you have a great team and a bunch of great processes in place for your business. And I think that's huge, whether it's no investing, uh, flips, syndications, buy and hold, two families, whatever you're doing, I think, you know, a team and system and processes are super important. So uh, I definitely love what you're doing. I love, you know, I definitely call us an alternative asset because it's not your traditional way of investing in real estate. It's very unique and you don't hear much about it. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, DJ, before we switch over to our next section of the show, did you have any other questions for Scott and what he's been doing? I, I think I have a ton of questions, <laughs> but, but I think we've asked the most important ones. I think we've gotten just a tremendous uh, sense, Scott, of, of how this works. Uh, again, I go back to that example. I think that's phenomenal. Would love to spend a ton of time just going through, you know, different details and uh, of how you guys execute this thing. Cause I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, can I, but, can, can, can I yep. throw in a question that you guys didn't ask that probably. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, please. Yeah, absolutely. Right please. Yeah. How do you, how, how do you fail at note investing? I think is a big question for people. Cause if you've got the team and you've got the vendors and you've got the capital, you're off and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake that we see investors make that get into the note space is they try to treat this asset class. Like they're buying a traditional piece of property. And it's not the same thing. We don't go off of ARV or after repair value. We don't own the property when you buy the note. So a lot of people think they're going to be in and out in 90 days. That's not the case. It's usually about a 12-month process once you buy a note to work it out or get back on track. The other thing that people screw up on is they don't do enough due diligence. They don't check taxes. You got to check taxes. What's so You don't get wiped out in a tax foreclosure. Mm, you, also, yeah. you, you don't have an attorney review. Initially, review your docs. Make sure you've got all the documents that you need to foreclose. You know, um, and then you people screw up and they trust Zillow or Google Street as the views. You can't, you got to send somebody out, whether it's paying a, a property preservation company, go out and take a look at it for 85 bucks or your buddy or a realtor, 50 bucks. Go, go out and put eyes on the property. Make sure it's actually a property and not a steaming pile of crap next to it. Because you'll see that sometimes, like in Chicago or Detroit or Ohio, people get all excited about what the property looks online. And they go out there and like, it's an empty lot, you know, mm. um, you know, that kind of stuff. So that you always, those are things you got to do. It's not that expensive to do, but you've got to do your due diligence. Trust, but verify is keywords that I think everybody needs to realize. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, our, our vendors are there to work for you, but they're not there to imagine what you need. So I see a lot of investors that get excited, they buy it, but they never reach back out to the servicing company to tell them what they want to do. And the servicing company can't make a decision without getting your approval first. So those are some of the things that people screw up on. Yeah, the trust but verify. I always laugh at that. Uh, yeah. I used to use the phrase a lot. And it's kind of like, well, it means I'm not really <laughs> like I'm willing to move forward, but I'm definitely going to verify. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it's great you know, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was actually going to, you know, one of the questions I had stuffed in the back of my mind was that average hold time. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, if you're buying, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, we buy in a judicial foreclosure state a year or greater. It doesn't mean it takes a year for close. A lot of times we get the bar back on track in, in 90 days or less with just reaching out to them. But you got to keep that in mind um, when you are buying a note in like South Carolina, it takes a year to foreclose. It can take that time to foreclose. So you got to keep that. 
in, in your, in your, when you're making a bid, the good thing is if you're buying in a longer foreclosure state, you usually get a little bit of a, a bigger discount than say buying in, in my state, Texas, which is the fastest foreclosure you know state in the nation. I mean, 21 days. I mean, we can foreclose fast here. You know, wow. Georgia's got fast foreclosures. I mean, North Carolina, um, you can foreclose relatively quickly. You just have that weird kind of bidding thing after the auction at the auction. But you know, just got every state's a little bit different. We always tell people say. Start off with two or three states. Get to know what's going on there before you decide that uh, you're going to be buying in all 30 or all 50 states. Yeah, I like that. Scott, that's some good info you just dropped there and uh, some questions that we missed that you put in there. So I appreciate that. But we're going to head over to our next section of the show called The Curious Cues. Scott, we're going to throw some questions at you and get your answer. Are you ready? Bring it. (laughs) Favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Oh, man. Uh, You know, it's not... I love. He's got a lot to choose from. I got a lot to choose from, but it's honestly, it's it's Southern Fried True Crime. When I'm bored or sitting outside and I want to rest my mind, it's actually Southern Fried True Crime was pretty good. There's there's so many of them. Uh, I'm a big Uh, fan. What's Southern Fried True Crime about? Is it just like, yeah, yeah? It's a lady that goes back and researches all these like bad crimes, murder, mystery kind of stuff. It's not quite like. uh, It's kind of like stuff on Annie TV. That's interesting, but also. the Business Lunch with uh, Roland Frazier is a great yeah. podcast as well. Yep. Too. I've known Roland for years. Hey, and- I like the fact that you gave us a, a non-real estate one, one <laughs> yeah, that just entertains clear, you. That's clear good. the mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let the you mind know, we, wander. We need to let our mind rest at some point. It's, that's how we stay fresh. So, yeah. <laughs> I like that. And a favorite book you enjoy reading? Oh, my gosh. This is easy. There's two of them that I probably recommend more than anything else. And I like to go back and read. One is, is Tribes by Seth Godin. Um Phenomenal book, easy book to read. I literally can see it right here. Uh, I've probably given 100 copies of this way, but it talks about how we are all a part of different tribes, whether it's our real estate stuff, our uh, family, our college friends, our buddies we hang out with, whatever you're part of. And tribes, we all need leadership, especially leadership is needed so much today in the crazy world. So your, your tribe might as well listen to you if you've got if you know what you're talking about versus somebody else. So Tribes is one of the most important things. It's one of the biggest marketing books. I think it's important, even though it doesn't get credit as a marketing book. And then the next one, something I read every year, um, and I'm, I'm proud that one of the authors is a friend of mine. It's Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill and Sharon Lecter. Uh, it came out about 10 years ago. Napoleon Hill actually wrote it back in 1938, but didn't release it. And what it is, is a book about him having a conversation with the devil and asking the devil how he is successful and keeping people from achieving their greatness. And he says, I just, I throw distraction at them. I help them drift. I help them get off task. I outwit them that way. And uh, uh, the Napoleon Hill Foundation found the manuscript and brought it to Sharon Lecter, who's the co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a bunch of other great books out there. And she didn't really rewrite it. She just started, she took the manuscript, kept it as Napoleon would do, and started adding sections at the end of each chapter, what she thought and how she thought Napoleon would think of the things today. And it's, it's an amazing book. It's, it's, I think it's they're trying to get into a movie as well, too. But that's a book that I think is just eye-opening because I think all of us are met with distractions. We like, as entrepreneurs, we get that bug to do something new. And it's, it's a great book to realize that sometimes saying no is saying yes to success. Yeah, I like it. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? Ooh, biggest hurdle in real estate. Man. Um, golly. I... Uh, I mean, I would go back to 2008, that when yeah. everything hit the fan, leaving the mortgage industry, starting something new, trying to figure it out. And 2008 was an interesting year. Not only did I 
ended up leaving the mortgage industry and starting this on, got divorced, had a business partnership that went a different way. So kind of reinvented myself back in 2008. And I think uh, even, though, even though it was difficult, I think it was a blessing. Um, I don't know how faithful you are, but I think the Lord doesn't give us anything that we can't handle and go from there. And, and you know, we all have individual deals that go south. And so working through those deals as well from time to time are difficult, but I think that would be the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I love that you said that, especially because everybody goes through challenges. Yeah. Um, it, I recently reinvented my career. Uh, it's something we always try to keep in mind with everybody we talk to that, that you know, life's not easy for anybody. Um, you know, the, the, we all know about the social media and how we appear there versus what's really going on. <laughs> well, uh, what the, yeah. the biggest thing is this is stupid trolls. I mean, you have all these people too. social media, the cancel culture out there, you know, nobody's perfect with things and you just see it on a day in day out. Like what happened to Kevin Hart with the Emmys a few years, people going back 10 years ago to a mistake that he made. Look, I think we make money in how we uh, get through those things and how we handle adversity. You know what I mean, DJ? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, I think too, we're somehow what's got lost in the shovel is, uh, in the shuffle is, is forgiveness. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's a big thing. People aren't perfect. And, and, you know, starting with the guy looking in the mirror right now, you know, I I'm not perfect. Uh, and, you know, try to set my expectations accordingly and just love on people. So, you know, and that's the thing too, is, I think also too, it's, you have to think about, Hey, things, things go awry in real estate and it may not go exactly one way, but Hey, let, give me some opportunity. Let me figure this out and I'll find a solution. It may not always be what you think you wanted to do, but oftentimes, Hey, where there's a will, there's a way to make things happen. Yeah. And that's why I love what you're doing because, you know, you, you mentioned you have people that you partner up with to get these deals done. Same thing with Dante and I in syndications. Uh, it, it's one of the things that warms my heart. It's, it's not necessarily about us, but being a part of a good team. Yeah. And we're always trying to put together good teams and, and build some financial success in the process. Uh, and, and that's it. And, you know, my joy comes from other people's success. Amen to that, brother. There's, yeah. there's nothing more delightful than seeing somebody close on their first deal or their first investment and that faith that they build in themselves. You know, yeah. it's literally like they're floating on the ground going forward. It's such a, it's such an amazing thing, isn't it? And it's one of the coolest things about the real estate community. Uh, just people helping people and trying to find mutual ways to win. It's awesome. Amen. Yeah. Next question we got for you is favorite non-real estate related hobby. What do you like doing in your free time? <laughs> I like, I usually prefer traveling. Uh, a couple of times a year, we'll take, you know, cruises or go abroad internationally, but that's been a bit of a, a small thing this year with COVID and things. So the last two years, I have found out that uh, me and my significant other, we have a green thumb. So we've turned our backyard, which is basically just a brick wall. I mean, most real estate investors have the worst yards because they're not spending any time on their own stuff. But I found that I really enjoyed the gardening stuff. So I've turned, uh, Steph and I, not just me, but we've turned our backyard into a tropical forest with 10-foot tall banana trees and cannas. Wow. And tomato vines growing 10 foot tall cucumber so it's always it's turned into a bit of an oasis or our, our own personal garden of eating every morning i get up take my coffee go out there sit talk with the mockingbirds the squirrels walk have a banana yeah <laughs> well not yet it takes three years for a banana <laughs> no. tree to have bananas but... oh there you go you, you yeah. learn more than just real estate here <laughs> yeah that's 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 one of the biggest things i mean um I think travel will come back once we get some common sense out there with things. I think we're starting to see that, unfortunately, in Europe a little bit more sooner than we're seeing here in the United States. But travel, it's, it's always one of the things I think you appreciate more what you have here when you get over or get to places that aren't as economically and as well off as we are here in the United States. So that's always the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hear you on that. 
Newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started, whether that's in the note business or just in real estate in general? Take action. Um, the only thing you guarantee by not taking action is failure. Yeah. You know, you're, you've got, you're going to learn more. I mean, you can listen to all the podcasts, take all the workshops, read all the books that you want, but if you never pull the trigger, make an offering or go out and buy something, you're never going to learn. Um, I had some of the best mentors in the, in the note business when I learned for four years, but I learned more by buying that first note and figuring what the heck to do and reaching out to people that I know. So that's, I think that would be the biggest thing. Just take action. What, no matter what it is, take action. It's, it's never going to be as bad as you think it is. So many people are scared of failure. Just fail forward. I mean, you'll learn more, you'll be more confident and you realize, well, that wasn't nearly half as bad as I thought because our, our minds like to play tricks on us. So Go out, take action. I almost, and I want to jump in on this one because this one's big with me because I was there for a while. And and I think the weight of inaction and not progressing is worse than the weight of having to get through challenges in the deal. Because when when you're going through challenges in the deal, and I can almost equate this to like the anxiety of moving. When you have to move, there's there's things you're going to leave behind and that part of it stinks. But boy, once you get on the road, you're looking ahead to new adventurous things. So as you go through your first deal, it's like an adventure. Yeah, stuff's going to come up that you're not going to be perfect on. But the weight of that and the burden of that is so much less than being stuck. So, you know, just I think that's great advice. Go for it. People take action. You know, one of the biggest things, too, is is the perfectionism of people. People want everything to be perfect. And uh, best advice I've got from somebody was saying, hey, perfection equals broke. If you think about iPhone, iPhone's coming out with the, this is like the 12 and they got a 13 out. If they had waited for the perfect cell phone to, before they launched, they would never have done anything. And I think that real estate marketing, hey, just get the word out. Sometimes 70, 75, 80% of perfection is better than nothing. Delivered equals positive cash flow. You can always go back and edit the second, third, and fourth time around. Yep, it's true. I like it. Well, Scott, this has been a phenomenal episode. We really appreciate you taking the time, joining us this week and and speaking to our listeners about note investing. Real quick, how can someone get in contact with you if they just have some questions about note investing and they just don't know who to ask? Easy, guys. Very easy. Go check out weclosenotes.com. That's weclosenotes.com. That's my uh, main website with our training, our podcast. You can check out the Note Closure Show podcast. Uh, I will tell you this, guys. Go out. If you're listening to this right now, click on over, hit that subscribe button, hit, hit that re- leave a review and leave these guys a five-star review. They didn't tell me to say that, but we as podcasters love to hear from our audience. So if it's you love true. this episode or love something that they're doing, because these guys are kicking ass and taking names and you know it, the double D's here, Dante and DJ <laughs> kicking ass, okay? Go out there, hit that subscribe, five-star review and refer to at least somebody, at least one person out there. Thank you, Scott. Awesome. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Scott. Guys. That was great. We really appreciate having you on, and we'll definitely have you on again soon. Hey, sounds great, guys. Keep making cash. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.